Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. The MSEC For the Sake of the Child podcast team would like to thank Fort Belvoir Enlisted Spouses Club for sponsoring today's podcast. Your support allows us to not only share information and resources, but also build connection through shared stories and experiences, providing military kids, their families, and the professionals who serve them the tools they need to help our military-connected children thrive. Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Susan Sellers. I'm a spouse of an active duty service member, parent to three military kids, master parent-to-parent educator, and now a podcast host at the Military Child Education Coalition. Today, we're going to talk to Ashley Austin about the 2020 Census. Ms. Austin has been with the U.S. Census Bureau for 10 years and is currently the advisor for program integration in the Communications Directorate. In addition to managing partnerships with military and veteran organizations, she leads the Census Bureau's efforts to improve the count of young children in the 2020 Census and beyond. Throughout the decade, Ashley manages research projects using administrative records data to look at the impacts of federal programs such as those administered by the VA. Born on Joint Base Andrews, Ashley is the proud daughter and granddaughter of veterans. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, I was reading the history of the census, and I know, yes, I'm a bit of a history nerd, and I found it fascinating. It said it was created around 1790 and is actually mandated by the Constitution. So this kind of got me thinking about my childhood, and no listeners, I was not born in 1790, but in the 80s, I actually remember as a kid, our neighbor, Mrs. Houston, was a census taker, and I couldn't believe it when I started thinking about it that I actually remember her kind of walking through the neighborhood with her clipboard and her pencil and asking my mom and all the other um, parents or, you know, members of different households, you know, the census questions. So I am sure, though, Ashley, between the development of technology and time over the last 30 years, the census is probably developed and is definitely more new and improved. Would you share with our listeners some of the things that are new and different about the census? And I would like to highlight with the COVID going on, I mean, we have to address it, if there's been any sort of hindrance because of the current COVID. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. And as a fellow history nerd, I certainly appreciate your efforts and actually share a similar memory from the 1990 census. I know I'm dating myself a bit as well, but operations have changed quite a bit since then. You're absolutely right. Um, The 2020 census is the first time we're offering online response. Historically, you would receive your questionnaire in the mail. You would have to write on it, fill it out, and mail it back. So now we're offering online response, and it actually is super quick. It takes under 10 minutes to complete your census online and get that submitted, and that's automatically sent through our system as a response. 
there are also three ways people can respond now. So not just online and not just by mail, we actually have a phone option as well. And we have languages available to help support response by phone in 12 non-English speaking languages. Additionally, we're offering language guides in 59 non-English languages for people who need help filling out their questionnaire in some form. So we've really expanded our efforts to make sure that we're educating and reaching everyone living in the United States. Well, that sounds like a, a definitely an improvement from just poor Miss Houston having to, to circulate the, the neighborhood. Do you still have census takers though in the field? I'm just curious. We do, we do. So we've, and our partners have been really instrumental in this. We have extended our operations in light of COVID-19, which has been, I think, really helpful for everybody dealing with the current pandemic and shutdowns and everything else. We have 973 national partners and almost 385,000 local partners working within communities nationwide to make sure that everyone's submitting their responses. Because what this does is the more people who submit their responses, the less enumerators we have to send out in the field to follow up in person. So starting in August, we are sending census workers out to collect interviews from those remaining people who have yet to respond. Again, that's a little bit later than what was initially planned, but our partners have been instrumental in getting these operational adjustments, the messaging and the content out there so that people understand it's not too late. Well, I think you guys are doing a wonderful job of offering three different options, whether it's the online, whether it's the phone option, and then following up with census takers going out in August to try to facilitate any remaining responses. And I think extending it is just good to know because maybe some families or, or some individuals think that they've already missed the opportunity to complete the census. So in reading, you know, reading your bio and, and doing a little bit more research on the census, it's my understanding, one of the biggest challenges currently is the actual undercounting, particularly when it comes to young children. And I thought this was important to highlight because the actual percentage of children for our active duty service members are ages five and younger. Can you elaborate a little bit more about this, this obstacle that the census is facing? Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been my passion and this has certainly been one of the major uh, priorities for the Census Bureau for this decennial census. Improving the count of young children or children under five is very important because we learned from the 2010 census that there was a net undercount of approximately 1 million children nationwide, meaning approximately 4.6% of children under the age of five were not counted for whatever reason. So we've since conducted studies looking at the various characteristics of households that are likely to not include young children in their response and found that households that tend to be complex in nature, and when I say complex, I mean non-nuclear families. These are households that may, might have multiple families living under one roof or extended families and multiple generations living under one roof. For example, the person filling out the form may not consider his or her roommate's child to be part of that household or may not realize that his or her baby cousin who came to live with them for a short period of time counts in the census response for that household. Additionally, I will add that most hard to count groups, and these include groups that are non-English speaking, Blacks or African Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanics and Latinos, and individuals experiencing homelessness, obviously they're more difficult for us to conduct outreach to and, to, and we've 
we've historically, you know, had undercounts in these groups in past censuses and surveys, these groups are also at a higher risk of undercounting children under five. So the undercount really affects undercounts of other groups. It, it's cross-cutting in nature. So what we've done for 2020, we've tailored our messaging to address this challenge, and we now have a library of resources and materials for households with young children and for our partners who work with these audiences available on 2020census.gov. As I mentioned previously, we have partners doing really important work in reaching out to families and educating them about the importance of the census and the importance of counting everyone living under their roof and their response, you know, from their grandma to their newborn baby. Well, I think you're absolutely correct I th um, that the family structure is changing and, and becoming more and more complex, uh, you know, whether it's temporary or whether it's a permanent situation. And an example that immediately popped in my mind was my husband's unit recently deployed. And so we had a lot of younger families move back in with their parents or even grandparents for the deployment. In that particular scenario, who should be filling out the census? So the person filling out the census should include everyone living or staying with them in that household on April 1st, 2020, and individuals living or staying there most of the time. If they transitioned after April 1st, 2020, they should be counted in the household where they lived on April 1st. We have census questionnaire assistance lines that I mentioned previously open, and we have support available in 12 non-English languages, and then, of course, guides in 59 other non-English languages to help people with specific questions about how, where they should be counted. Absolutely, because I think that's part of sort of the, the navigational trick um, is it's whether or not do you count somebody, do you not count somebody? And, and talking about kids, and another scenario came to mind for me. So for our um, military families that have older kids and that are maybe away at college at the time, say at April 1st, or recently joined the military, how do they factor in when it comes to the census? Sure, absolutely. That, that's a great example. So if you have a student who lives in student housing on or off campus, the U.S. Census Bureau will work with a representative from the building to ensure that that student is counted. That representative may distribute a census questionnaire to the student's room for them to complete, or the school will provide directory information about the students directly to the Census Bureau. Even if you're away from student housing due to COVID-19, you will be counted at the student housing. If you live in an off-campus private residence, like a rented apartment or house, you should count yourself at that residence and respond to the census, again, online by phone or by mail. If you have roommates, one person from the apartment or house should respond on behalf of the entire household. For children who recently joined the military, there are multiple scenarios for our active duty military. If on April 1st, your child or children were active duty, were stationed in the United States and not staying in group housing like military barracks and vessels, they should count themselves and respond to the census either online by phone or by mail. Those staying in military barracks or who are on a military vessel in a U.S. home port will be counted by a military point of contact who will provide their information directly to us, to the Census Bureau. If on April 1st your child was deployed, assigned, or stationed overseas, that includes being on a military vessel with a home port outside of the U.S., um, the Department of Defense Administrative Records will be used to count them. 
Interesting. So, and you you brought up another another scenario that I was kind of thinking about is you know our military is very transitory in nature. In some of our families, because of the COVID right now, they may not be sure, you know, when or if they should complete the census, especially if they're moving or living overseas. And you highlighted that a little bit, but is there any other guidance that you would give those families in these particular cases? Absolutely. So military family members living in the U.S. should respond to the census questionnaire themselves. If on April 1st, the family lived overseas with the service member who was stationed or assigned overseas, the Department of Defense administrative records will be used to count the family. So the key here is on April 1st, 2020, if they were moving or deployed after April 1st, 2020, they should be counted where they were on April 1st. The key is the date of April 1st. And I think for our families, knowing that date is a great stepping point in terms of, okay, should we fill it out? How do we fill it out when we, when we should fill it out, particularly if they're, they're in transit to moving overseas. And I know that you mentioned that, you know, you offer a phone option in 12 non-English languages along with English, as well as a helpline, but you guys even took it a step further and created a military fact sheet. Is that right? We did, we did. In our vast repository of, of materials, we have messaging geared specifically towards our military population as we do for our young child audience. Well, I think that is super helpful, uh, particularly for our military families um, because of our situation being so unique. So I think we all would appreciate, we all appreciate that the census is taking it a step further to try to accommodate any questions we have. And speaking of the military families, I mean, I think most people understand the census. One of the benefits of the census is that it helps to establish federal funding in terms of communities, school districts, money that they'll receive, and it's correlated with the census. But a lot of our families live on a military base or a post, and therefore they attend a DODEA school. How do these communities benefit from the completion of the census? So that's a great question. As you mentioned, responses to the 2020 census help determine how hundreds of billions of dollars in federal funding is distributed to local communities for things like schools, food assistance programs, healthcare, emergency services like firefighting, fighting, and more every year. Um, and this is for the next 10 years. So military families on base do benefit from these services. And an additional idea behind this is even if you're moving, even if you're moving to another base or being deployed, there's another family coming in behind you. And so there is always going to be someone there who can benefit from the resources that are informed by the 2020 census. I think that's very well said, and I think that's a, an excellent point to remember because we certainly always seem to know somebody at the next space uh, that we may be moving to, so we want to make it better when we leave. So, Ashley, do you have any additional advice or suggestions that you would give our listeners on who should be counted and how they should respond or anything in particular with our younger kids in, in terms of making sure that they're being counted? 
Absolutely. So the key is to count yourself where you live and sleep most of the time, even if you've temporarily relocated due to COVID-19. Everyone in your household, like I said before, from grandma to the newborn baby, even if the newborn baby is still in the hospital, if they were born before or on April 1st, they should be counted in the census response. It's easier now than ever to respond to the census. As we mentioned, we walked through, we have so many resources available. Please check out our resources on 2020census.gov and respond online and less than 10 minutes if you haven't yet responded um, or give us a call and we can help walk you through your response. Perfect. So this podcast, which makes it really special, is because it's about telling stories. Do you have a final maybe inspirational story or message for us that you'd like to share with our listeners? Thanks, Susan. I do, actually. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And when I was growing up, we didn't have the emphasis on STEM education that we do now but the importance of data was always stressed. I don't think that really hit home for me until my husband and I started our family. I mean, we were far away from our extended family. My dad was transferred to Bowling Air Force Base before I was born. My parents are originally from Ohio. So my husband and I really had to rely on the programs and resources available to us. We didn't have that family support cushion there to help us. And those resources can really make or break a young family. So now my children, God bless them, have heard my census data speech more times than they'd like to admit. And for my youngest son, this is actually his first census, the first census my oldest will remember. So they're excited because their mom is a huge data nerd and a census fanatic. But the other driver here is STEM education, which is so important and now being emphasized in school curriculums. I don't think my boys really understood the connection between data and everyday life until I had the opportunity to visit their classes before the schools were shut down and walk through some of our statistics in schools activities with them. Um, these are educational activities we created in collaboration with educators. They vary by grade level and give students a hand, the hands-on experience in working with data and connecting that data back to everyday resources. It was finally seeing that light go on in the students' eyes that really reaffirmed for me the importance of this work. And it's really made all my years of service worthwhile. So for me, the census is not just about doing our civic duty and making sure our voices are heard. It's also about preparing the next generation for a data-driven world so they can take the reins when it's their time. Well, I think that is very, very well said, Ashley, and it's obvious that you are very passionate about this topic, and I think we're very lucky to have you as part of the Census Bureau to make sure that you are instilling a better future for our kids to come forward. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and to share your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Susan. Well, and I, I have to say, I think this podcast is certainly going to motivate any listeners who haven't had a chance to complete the census to do so. So get out there. You guys know you now have a little bit of an extension. And the military fact sheet that we mentioned, as well as the website that Ashley shared, we're going to put that in our show's notes so that you have access to that. And as always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today and remember to like share and subscribe and we really do appreciate your comments your questions as well as ideas for topics that you'd like to hear more about have a great day this podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support provided by fort belvoir enlisted spouses club thank you for making a difference in the lives of military children 
I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast for the sake of the child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.